Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Cone of Shame Show. Guys, I love today's episode. As someone who is not comfortable seeing birds, this is exactly what I needed. I am super fired up. This is going to help so many people. If you're like, I don't see birds, this episode is totally for you. You're going to feel like you could do it if you had to after this episode is over. And that's, I just, God, I love this episode so much. All right, uh, real quick. Guys, I'm still doing some shout-outs. I will do shout-outs. I'm really enjoying this. If there's someone on your team who you think deserves to get a shout-out from me, um, you want to have a little video you can send to them or you can show to them and be like, hey, Dr. Andy Rourke was talking about you, and he said this awesome stuff. I am happy to do that because I think that there's more. we need more positivity in this profession, and I, if I can make someone's day, I love it. All you got to do is write an honest review of the podcast. I'm not telling you to give us a five stars. Just just write an honest review. Um, and then shoot an email to me letting me know that you wrote a review and who and why you want me to give a shout out. So uh, the email address is podcast at drandyrourke.com. That's podcast at D-R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-R-K.com. And uh, I'll jump on it. I'll make you a video and I'll send it to you and you can show it to them. So that offer stands. Also, don't forget we do a $100 weekly giveaway. We actually had a practice manager win this last week, which is uh, a first. And um, all you got to do is get registered for the Dr. Andy Rourke newsletter. Head over to drandyrourke.com and just sign up for the newsletter. And that's all you got to do. You got to be in practice to win. That's the only requirement. But, um, you know, it's just we like to send out our articles. We like to send out stuff about the podcast, stuff like that. It's a great newsletter. And it's um, it's how we decided to do our giveaway. So, gang, it's just a little joy in your life. I send a shout out to a friend. Uh, you might win a hundred bucks to do whatever you want with some goodness in the vet world. That's what we're all about. And with that, let's talk about our presenter today. I have known uh, Dr. Lori Hess for years and years. She is wonderful. Originally from New York City, Dr. Lori Hess is one of approximately 150 board-certified avian specialists worldwide. After graduating from Yale University, she earned her veterinary degree at Tufts University and completed an internship and residency in avian exotic pet medicine at the world-renowned Animal Medical Center, AMC, in New York City, where she practiced for more than a decade. Guys, Lori Hess is New York to the core, and you will hear that on this episode, and I love it. She is Director of Pet Health and Nutrition for the pet food company Zupreme and owns a bird and exotic pet specialty hospital, the Veterinary Center for Birds and Exotics, in Westchester County, New York, where she treats birds, rabbits, ferrets, rodents, reptiles, sugar gliders, hedgehogs, and other non-traditional pets as well as wildlife. She's the author of Unlikely Companions, The Adventures of an Exotic Animal Doctor, a memoir about her life as an exotic animal veterinarian. Guys, enjoy this wonderful episode for a uh, survival guide to bird appointments with the one and only Dr. Lori Hess. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Hey everybody, I am here with a good friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Lori Hess. Lori, how are you? I am very well. How are you? Oh, I'm so great. Thank you for doing this with me. This is honestly this episode we're about to do in all seriousness is one of the reasons I started this podcast. 
uh, because I wanted to make something like what we're about to make here today. So thank you for making time for me. I really do appreciate it. So it's great. We're going to play. How do you treat that? And this is a, how do you treat that? That I desperately want because it's true for me. So, um, I am a dog and cat guy. You know, I have, I, I am a companion animal veterinarian. I try to be upfront about what I am. Um, but I always want to do a good job. We have a, a vet in our practice who is wonderful with exotics, but when she's not there, there is an underlying feeling of panic whenever exotic animals come into our practice. And what I want to do with you today is do a, how, how, how do you treat that? And let's talk about some basic um, avian skills and handling that are going to get people, it, it just help people do a good job, you know, right? Just give us the basics to, to do this work. And so I am thrilled. I have got a 10-year-old female cockatoo in exam room two, and the owners say that she is lethargic, she's not eating, and she's kind of quiet. So vague types of signs and symptoms. I am anxious about doing this work. I don't see a lot of birds. I want to make sure I do a good job, or at least a competent job. How do you treat that, Lori? I think the first thing to remember is not to freak out. Okay. Um, I I'll, I'll write that down. That's an important, important do not freak step. Out. Think about your basic medical skills. I mean, we went to vet school. We all have these degrees. And if you think back to like, you know, physical exam 101, how do we all do our physical exams? We do them with a body systems approach, right? Um, usually the word soap means a lot to veterinarians in terms of, you know, how we approach eyes, ears, nose, throat, you know, maybe the, is the animal hydrated? Is it pink? And going down through those body systems. The body systems may be slightly different because some of the anatomy is different, um, you know, on a bird versus a dog or a cat versus a reptile or something else. But if you just kind of stay calm and you approach it that way, you're going to pick up almost everything. So um, I approach a, a bird the way I would approach a cat. I mean, I don't treat cats or dogs anymore either, but um, it's the same idea. So I start with a systematic approach. And I know, you know, I'm sure you as a dog or cat veterinarian, you have a systematic approach. You do the same thing with every dog or cat you see so that you don't mm -hmm. miss things. Same idea with a bird. So I start up at the head. And I find for me, um, it helps me to say it out loud because it reminds me what I'm doing, but it also lets the owner know, you know, if the owner's looking at me going, oh gosh, what is she doing to my bird? She's touching <laughs> the bird's eyelid, you know, like, why is she doing that? If I say, oh, look, you know, his, his color is pink. I pick up the eyelid. I can see that the same way you might look at the mouth of a dog or cat to see if the gums are pink, if the animal mm -hmm. is not anemic or pale or whatever. We may do that with a bird and they're, they're conjunctive by their eyelids. So, okay. so whatever system you start with, I do the same thing. You know, it's BAR, bright alert, responsive, hydrated, pink, the same thing. I may start with that. Um, then I'm thinking through ENT, heart and lungs. Now, PLN in my world is peripheral lymph nodes when, you know, in the dog and cat world, or it was when I treated mm -hmm. dogs and cats. Yep. Birds don't have lymph nodes, so I skip that, unless, of course, you're treating waterfowl. Waterfowl right. have lymph nodes. So things are a little bit different. Um, if you're treating a bird, often the heart rate is greater than 300. So, you know, you may not be able to count more than you know, 300 beats, and you know that that may be normal for the smaller bird. So you're going to go through this body systems approach. I guess to start with is, you know, how do you hold that animal? 
It's not like your dog that's going to just sit on the floor or sit on a tabletop for you or your cat that, you know, maybe you'll have someone just gently restraining it. Yep. Bird is flapping around. It's going crazy. So ideally, yes, you pick the person. Uh, maybe it's a technician. Maybe it's another doctor, an assistant in your practice who has some basic skills. And maybe yep. you don't have that person. So you have a towel. Um, the thing to remember is that birds don't have separate um, body cavities in terms of chest from abdomen. They're one big coelom. They don't have a okay. diaphragm. Um, their lungs are fixed, so they can't, when we breathe in or a dog or cat breathes in, they expand their lungs and they fill with air and then they collapse and that's how they breathe. Um, they need to be able to, you know, they can do that even if they're being restrained. Birds need to be able to move the muscles on their chest to inflate their lungs. So you never want to put pressure on their chest. So typically we wrap the bird in a towel and um, we hold behind the head. It's kind of like palming a baseball or a basketball. Um, if you hold by the neck, the bird can fling its head around and it can potentially okay. hit you. Um, so you want to kind of hold the back of its head. You want it facing out. Um, you want to wrap it in a towel, but you want to be able to see the chest and you don't want to put pressure on the chest so you can see if the bird is breathing comfortably. Okay. Um, birds and exotic animals in general don't like to be dangling in space, so you don't want to hold it like 10 feet in front of you or even way yep. out in front of you. You want it against your body. Birds like to have things against their, you know, against them. And they like to feel that their feet are secure because when birds stand, what do they do? They stand on two feet. They perch. Mm -hmm. So if you can even have your other hand, maybe, you know, one hand around the back of the holder, one hand around the back of the head of the animal using your forearm um, that, you know, your hand is holding the head, your forearm is kind of against the back of the bird. Mm -hmm. um, and then you say I'm a righty, so I have my right hand on the back of the bird's head and my, my forearm, uh, you know, against the back of the bird. And then my left hand is holding the bird's feet. Um, maybe I'm letting that bird perch on my feet if it's a small bird, but I'm at least holding that bird still by its feet. Now I know I have pretty good control over the bird. I'm not putting pressure on its chest. Its ring, wings are wrapped into the towel okay. um, so that it's not flapping like it's going to break its wings. Right. So that's how you'd hold a parrot, for example. Okay. Um, parrots bite with their mouth. They go after you with their mouth. If you were holding a hawk or something like that, I might not even have to restrain the bird's head because they don't go after you with, your mouth, with their mouth. They go after you with their feet. So you have to really restrain their feet well. It just depends on the type of bird you're holding. Okay. But for a parrot, like a cockatoo, that's how you would hold it. Um, and then you would go through your body systems approach. You know, you start at the top and you look at the eyes and the nose and the mouth. Maybe you're not going to get a great exam of its mouth because it's got a big beak and it could bite you. You have your pen light, you're going to get a quick glance in the bird's mouth. Um, you know, and then you're going to go into heart and lungs and you're going to listen to the heart. And like I said before, maybe it's really, really uh, a fast heart rate and you can only just kind of listen for rhythm and um, get a rough idea of heart rate. Um, it's greater than 300. You're probably not going to be able to count it. Um, you know, you're going to go on to, we call it abdomen, abdomen, because if I'm writing a soap, it's an abdomen. And I might say I'm feeling the bird's abdomen now, but I know that they don't have a diaphragm, as I mentioned before. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm feeling the lower part of the coelom or the beneath the keel. The mm -hmm. keel is the breastbone or the sternum. Um, so that should feel, and you have to feel a lot of them, but you should be able to get a little bit of your finger in. If it's a small, like cockatiel, not, you know, big cockatiel, little yellow birds, cockatiels. Mm -hmm. I can get maybe the very tip of my finger in there. If I'm getting a lot of my hand up behind the sternum or the keel, we call it sternum or sternal lift, 
which okay. usually means that some organ is enlarged and pushing that breastbone or that keel out. I tell people, I tell my clients, like think of going to the supermarket and buying a chicken breast, right? Or you okay. know, you buy the package and you see that bone in the middle and the two chicken yep. breasts are on either side. That's what you're feeling. So if you kind of make that vertical and you think you're feeling underneath that, if there is a heart and the bird's liver actually sits around its heart behind the keel. So if the liver is really big, if you have hepatomegaly, as we describe in a dog or a cat, mm -hmm. then it's going to push that keel forward and you might get your hand up uh, underneath that keel more than you should. That's okay. a key that something's enlarged. Okay. So... You know, and then you're moving on to, we call it UG, your genital, but they have a cloaca, um, which is the common chamber where their reproductive tract and the uh, GI tract and the your genital tract all kind of empty. It's like a big vat inside of them. And that little hole that you see where they poop and pee out of is called the vent. Gotcha. So we look at the vent and we check the vent and is it clean or is there you know, stuff stuck to the vent. Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at the droppings. And even, I should say, even before you do the whole exam, you're looking at the animal in the cage. You know, it's often the cage that comes in with the animal is mm -hmm. the one that lives it at home. You can tell, is the bird, you know, it, do they keep the bird nicely? Is it clean or is it filthy? Um, does it have fresh water in its cage? Does it have stimulation? Are there toys? Are there things? Is this a cage you'd want to live in or is this just really nasty? You know, you can tell a lot about how much time the owners spend with their animal or how it they are by looking at the cage so and even looking at the animal is it breathing quickly before you pick it up you know things you could just notice about this bird that's a prey species as opposed to your dog and cat that's a predator is it stressed out it's a prey animal it's going to be a little more stressed out than a dog or cat would be in the cage but how does it look is it responsive is it alert if it's really lethargic and it's fluffed up and it's tucking its head under its wing in a very scary place then you know it's really not feeling great right Absolutely. Walk me through the ears, eyes, nose, and throat real quick. So, okay. so how so, do you, so yeah, let's just, let's just go through that. Yeah. Tell me what you're looking for and exactly the mechanics of, of, of how I'm doing this, how I'm approaching a, a, the bird's sort of face and head. So the first thing I do is I have a pen light and I'm looking at the eyes and I'm looking symmetrically at the eyes. Birds have pupils that are under voluntary control. They're under striated muscle or voluntary muscle control. So they can control their pupil size. So you may see their pupils go in and out regardless of whether you're shining light in their eyes, unlike a dog or a cat's eyes, um, which is kind of freaky the first time you see it. A um, couple of weird things, if you're seeing like an African gray parrot, they have pigment, a red pigment in their tears. So when they're stressed, it looks like there's blood coming from their eyes. The first right. time you see that, that may be very, very scary. I thought I killed the bird the first time I looked at that. <laughs> trying to stay really calm and there's blood running from the bird's eyes. So <laughs> some real, weird nuances. But um, those are things that, you know, the more birds you do, you'll see. But you look in their eyes, you look for symmetry of the pupils, responsiveness to light. Remember, birds' eyes are on, you know, on the sides of their head more than the dog or a cat who are more facing forward because they, you know, birds have more, uh, you know, peripheral vision, greater peripheral vision. Um, you'll pick up the eyelid and you'll look at the color. Um, of the conjunctiva there. Is it pink? Are they, you know, anemic? Are they pale? Um, and you'll also look at hydration status. So we look at the eyelid tenting, the same way you might look at skin tenting in okay. a dog or cat. Um, so that's eyes, ears. Birds don't have external earlobes like dogs or cats or people. They have little holes in the side of their heads. Those are, you know, the entrance to the middle ear cavity. So you can brush the feathers apart and look for two little holes on either side of the head. And some people may actually come in. Owners have come in because they've noticed that their bird has a hole in their head. And funny enough, they have two holes in their head. And I've actually had some pretty amusing discussions with clients that, you know, notice that their birds have two ears. 
Um, so that's ears. I just kind of glance for discharge or anything there. Um, okay. Nose, they, you know, they have nostrils. Some birds have bigger nostrils than others. Cockatoos, like in this case of the bird we're talking about, their nostrils are very small and flat, and they're supposed to be like that. But you want to look for discharge from the from the nares. Um, you want to see if the nares are patent. Are they open? Do you feel breath coming through? Um, so that's one thing you can look at. Um, throat, you're looking in the mouth really quickly, usually. Um, I will look at a, use a pen light with a little bird. I can often get the bird to open its mouth to try to bite the pen light, get a really quick glance. If you have a big macaw that can eat the pen light, you don't want to do that. Um, right. You can use your other hand. If you're holding the pen light in one hand, you can actually take your opposite hand, your free hand, and use your top, your pointer to kind of push the top beak one direction, and use your thumb to point the to push the bottom beak in the other direction. So okay. you have a second where you can kind of stick your pen light in and look around. Some people um, will use a speculum, like a metal kind of mm -hmm. uh, mouth gaggy kind of thing to look at inside the mouth. It really depends on how much time you think you need. If you're looking for something specific in the mouth, like you think the problem may be there, you may need to do something a little more extensive than a quick glance. But that's my eyes, ears, you know, nose, throat kind of thing. That, that's perfect. So with our so with our case, so just uh, bird, uh, we, we have uh, a cockatoo in and just lethargic or not eating. Are there mega common conditions that I should be looking for right off the bat? So just say, is there something that, that if a bird comes in your clinic, this is, this is knowing nothing else. These are the types of things that you're looking for that will be obvious and, and common. Well, I mean, lethargy is a general thing, but whenever you hear a female bird, people have to understand that female parrots can lay eggs. Even if they haven't been mated, if you think about chickens, you know, the eggs that we buy in the store are not fertile eggs. They're just eggs that come out of the bird. And if you have a reproductively active bird, um, some bird species lay more eggs more commonly than others. But um, and people will be like, oh, I've had the bird for 30 years. It's never laid an egg. It must be a boy. Well, that's not true. I've had. You know, birds come in after 35 years and suddenly they lay an egg and the owners can't believe it's actually not a boy bird, it's a girl bird. So, <laughs> uh, so you got to keep that in mind. Um, David's the, a girl. Yeah. yeah and, and people freak out about that. And, you know, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But um, whenever we hear female, you have to think reproductive. And I realize that a lot of these birds live... Um, solo singularly in, in someone's home and they think that the people in the house are their flock mates. These are mentally, these birds are flock animals. Um, they bond to the people around them as their flock mates and they may want to uh, mate with some of their human caretakers. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of sexual frustration things that happen with birds. Um, there's a lot of behavioral things that we deal with. So um, just because a bird isn't with another bird doesn't mean it wouldn't want to lay an egg. So gotcha. that's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, remember also that if you feel a swelling in, well, if you feel, say you see a bird throwing up, this is a little different. Um, remember, right. there's no uh, diaphragm, as we said before. So I tell people a lot, you know, birds have a dilated pouch in their neck. And when I'm doing my exam, I usually feel it. It's called the crop. Um, it's a little dilated pouch of the esophagus before the esophagus continues down to enter the stomach. Um, and birds will store food there. Um, they start digestion there. And sometimes when birds have lower GI disease, like they have an intestinal problem or a gastrointestinal problem, um, it will back up the food um, from moving through the GI tract and then they'll vomit. Um, they don't really have a crop problem. And that's a lot of people think, oh, they have a crop infection, they're vomiting. Baby birds are like 
human infants in the, in the sense that their GI tracts have not um, established their normal flora yet. And sometimes they will truly have an infection of abnormal bacteria um, or yeast or something like that in their crop. But when I see an adult bird having GI signs, it's often due to lower GI disease. And it might even be something that's not GI, like you could have a big egg stuck in your abdomen and or your lower coelom, and that could be pushing on your GI tract and make you vomit, even though, you know, the vomiting is not a, a, a true GI problem. It's a reproductive problem here. So you just have to keep in mind that all those organs are kind of fluid in there and that what might be definitely vomiting in a cat or a dog may have nothing to do with the GI tract in a bird. Gotcha. That makes Perfect. sense. Absolutely. If somebody wants to improve their avian handling skills, uh, technician or doctor, are there places that you would point them for resources? Uh, how, how, are they, how do they pick these skills up and improve them? Absolutely. So the Association of Avian Veterinarians is a phenomenal group. It's an international group. Um, it welcomes veterinarians, vet techs, anybody in the veterinary field. Um, there's a wonderful website with lots of resources on there. Um, there are a lot of videos. There's a lot of training information, published literature. There's a phenomenal conference every year that now actually uh, is in association with the other exotic uh, mammal vets and, and reptile vets. So you can go and if you like exotics, you can do all of those things. It, it's a terrific membership and there's a lot of dialogue between the vets and the vet techs there. So if you have questions, it's very open. You can go on it's Facebook pages, chat groups, et cetera. So it's a great resource. That's awesome. Where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me online um, at my animal hospital website, which is avianexoticsvet.com. Um, I also have another website. It's lauriehessdvm.com. And I'm also the medical director for Zupreme Exotic Pet Food. So I'm often on uh, their website too, zupreme.com. Awesome. Thanks, Lori. This has been wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's lots of fun to talk about birds and all the fun things we get to do. Now let's do it again. Yeah, I hope so. Gang, that is our episode. I hope you really, really enjoyed it and you got a lot out of it. If there are things you really want to see in the future, shoot me an email. It's podcast at drandyrook.com, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and what you guys would like to uh, to see or to have. Again, it, it means the world to me if you guys have a moment to just uh, write an honest review on iTunes. That is how people find the show. Um, it is the number one way that people kicking around looking for vet podcasts find something that is worth their time. And I want to reach as many people as possible. I want to help people, and you can help me help them. So thank you if you have a moment to do that. Be well. See you next week.